Uh, thank you, James, for that introduction. And it is so good to be here. Megan and, and our kids and I are very excited to be here. We're thrilled. Uh, we are excited for what God will do among us. And we're also very uh, grateful. We appreciate that even though we've barely uh, been known here, uh, many of you have already found ways to make us feel welcome, to go out of your way to do that. And we really appreciate that. So thank you so much. We, we do feel welcomed and loved here. Uh, now speaking of introductions, as uh, when you have occasion to meet somebody new, which may happen every day for you, uh, but what are the two questions typically on the top of your mind about them? Uh, or theirs about you. Those two questions. The first one is typically, what is your name? You want to know their name. It's a good starting place, after all. Uh, the second question, then, is almost always what? What do you do? What do you do? Uh, I was actually corrected about that after our first service. I got a little comment card. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and a, a child said, uh, no, you ask them their name and their age. Kids don't have jobs. So... Very, very true and point well taken. Uh, so for kids, yes, name and age. You don't ask adults their age. We don't do that. Uh, but name and work. Now, we may look at that with a little bit of cynicism and say, well, you're just trying to, uh, you know, evaluate someone's status by what job they have. I'm being reduced to what job I have or something like that. But I think let's look past that. Look past that to what this all might be pointing to if what seems to be common, not just among Americans, but others around the world, uh, an interest in what you do, let's look past that. And we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we see the process by which God made all things and uh, created man and woman and set them in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. To work. Even before anything was wrong with the world, even before there was sin, there was work. And it was different than how we experience it today. It was, it was wonderful, uh, and it was only after sin entered the world that work was accompanied then by, uh, by, by sweat off our forehead, uh, that it was accompanied by uh, thorns and thistles growing and, uh, in the place of, of flowers and beautiful, uh, wonderful, healthy crops, uh, that these things would frustrate us and also hurt us as we endeavor to make a living and make the world a beautiful place. Uh, work is actually a huge part of who we are as human beings. And in ways that it's so difficult for us to see because of how our culture taints our identity, uh, it is very tied to who we are. Uh, it, it, we are not defined by our work, uh, but our identity and our calling, our work in life, is ultimately defined by God who gives us both. Uh, and so it, it takes a little bit of retooling as we approach this. And since it is Labor Day weekend, I thought it'd be appropriate to look at work and the biblical teachings on it. Now, we're going to read in a moment from Genesis chapter 12. And at first glance, you might think, what does this have to do with work? Well, we'll see that it has a few things uh, to teach us about how uh, we can trust God and how we ought to, uh, how we can work uh, in a more holy way. Uh, and having... Uh, found this passage. It's in uh, Genesis 12 or in your pew Bible on page 8. Uh, having found that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your, uh, your word says in Romans 12 uh, that we ought not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, the pattern of this world that, uh, that does reduce us to what we do. Uh, that seeks to constrain us and that seeks to enslave us to uh, to only become 
valuable to the world if we're doing something valuable. Uh, Father, uh, help us to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of your minds that only your word uh, by your spirit uh, can do. Uh, We ask for your spirit's blessing in this time then. In Christ's name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Uh, Turning to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved uh, to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. This is the word of the Lord. Here in this passage in Genesis 12, we see something happen Uh, Very, very quickly, it seems. We see Abram presented uh, with tremendous blessing, and we find him having great faith. And then just a few verses later, we see him acting out of unfaithfulness. Uh, We see him blessed profoundly, uh, and then we see him wander uh, frustratingly. And one thing we will see that uh, not only applies to Abram, but to us, is that all through this wandering, Abram never wanders beyond God's promise. He never wanders beyond God's blessing or grace. Uh, And just the same with us. And this is something that in all our toil, we can find true rest in. Uh, Abram was a man who, whose faith was, uh, was challenged as well, and so we're going to look at that. So if I had, uh, now I'm a little new here, and I understand that uh, Communion Sunday, things are supposed to be short. So I have three micro points for you today. Uh, and and the, the first is this, uh, we're going to look at the call of Abraham, the call of Abraham uh, to faith. Uh, secondly, the challenge of Abraham's faith. And then thirdly, the confidence that he had because of God. His call to faith the challenge of his faith, and the confidence that he had in God. Now, as we look at Abram's call to faith, it's important what we don't see in the text. If I were to say to you, I know someone you really would profit from speaking with, that really you need to sit down with them, you would think, 
wow, what have they done? What have they accomplished? Uh, what is it about them that would make me want to sit down with them and spend an hour with them? Why does Paul think that I would uh, really profit from this? Now, if, you know, you might do it once as a favor to me, just out of kindness, sit down with this friend of mine. But in general, you would really want to know this. Really, I'm not going to sit down with this person unless they're worth my time. And, uh, and, and that is the case. We evaluate those things as we go along. Uh, as we look at Abram and we look at why did God think Abram worthy of his time, we don't see anything. There's nothing listed. We look for Abram's qualifications. Okay, if you're going to pick somebody to be uh, the father of many nations, if you're going to pick someone to essentially be the patriarch of, of Jesus Christ, the Savior who will save the world, uh, who are you going to pick? And his qualifications are not listed. That's because God called Abram and chose to bless him not on the basis of anything Abram had to offer. Because as you may have heard before, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. He's not called on the basis of anything he has to offer. Uh, God doesn't come to Abraham and see, well, you're probably the best use of my time and energy and, and resources, so I'm going to invest in you, Abram, and I'm, I'm expecting to see some, uh, something back. I want to see some dividends. I want to see a return on my investment. He doesn't say that. He knows that Abram is essentially a nobody that appears out of nowhere and blesses him lavishly. This is incredibly foundational, and it's important for all of Abram's life. Uh, and not only is this where he begins, but Abram says, I am the one, or God says, Abram, I'm the one who's going to make your name great. I am the one who's going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, I'm the one who does this. It's important that we understand this as well as believers, that when we first came to know Christ, if you are a believer, uh, that we weren't anything special morally. We didn't really have anything to offer. In fact, the more I grow in Christ, the more I realize the less and less I have to offer God. I got nothing to offer him, uh, quite frankly. And it, the glory all goes to him for that. Uh, and this is important because it affects uh, later on how Abraham filters what happens after this. Now, this is a pretty good day, though. You know, Abram goes uh, and just out of the blue, God says, hey, I've got a plan for you. Go, go from this country, uh, go from your ancestors, and I'm going to show you a new land. And I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation. Uh, now, that's a good day, uh, by the way. I mean, if he came home to Sarai, and Sarai said, well, how was your day, honey? He would say, well, okay. No, not okay. I mean, let me tell you what happened. God promised this. And God promised, uh, God's promise to Abraham was so convincing uh, that Abram believed God, believed that God was faithful to do it, and that he was powerful to do it, and was willing to actually act. And so he did. He left. Uh, he went to this land, and uh, to the land of Canaan. And he started walking around it. And as he's walking around this land, he's worshiping. He's thinking, God is great. He goes to one part of it, builds an altar and worships. Goes to another part, he's just worshiping as he goes through. This is a great beginning. And many of us may have had a season in life like that. Maybe you're in that right now, uh, where everything is great and you're worshiping the Lord. It's wonderful. Uh, but then something else happens. Then something happens next. And what we see is, uh, is, can be confusing at first. Now, I'll introduce it by saying this as we look at the challenge to Abraham's faith. 
Uh, We have, as James mentioned, a very small child in our house. We have four children under the age of eight, uh, which makes our house a lot of fun and really crazy. Uh, If you call and I don't answer, don't take offense. I probably can't find my phone. Uh, Now, uh, we do have a child that is about one month old, and she sleeps almost all the time. And when she is sleeping, uh, when she falls asleep, rather, it's usually being held by someone. She's usually in my arms or Megan's arms. Uh, and she loves to cuddle. Uh, but she falls asleep feeling safe. She falls asleep feeling uh, the touch of our skin on her skin. She falls asleep feeling safe and provided for. And then we, of course, because, because we have other things to do, we set her down and go on and do something else. Now, when she wakes up, the first thing she does is cry. And child psychologists are trying to figure out exactly what uh, an infant thinks, because you can't ask them. Uh, But they're guessing that, uh, maybe common sense would say, they're waking up and realizing that their provider is not there. They're waking up and realizing, where are my people? Where's my staff? Where are my uh, caretakers? Uh, This is not good. I don't feel safe anymore. Uh, And in many ways, this is what happens to Abram. And this is what can happen to us. Abram felt very secure. He felt very confident in God's ability to provide for him. Uh, it was a wonderful thing. So confident that he was able to, to, to go and leave everything he had. And then something woke him up. It was the famine. Uh, it woke him up and he said, I can't feel my God with me anymore. I, I, is he still there? Is he still able to provide for me? Is he still... I mean, Forget the blessings that he has promised me. Is it, can he provide for my family? Uh, my flocks and herds and my people, they need to eat. And this can happen to us as well. We often have a plan, an idea in our mind. And as I've been thinking about this week, it's actually been very liberating to think uh, that I have a plan in my mind uh, of how God is going to make my life work. And it almost never goes according to that plan. Uh, There's always something that changes, always something that goes awry. And that's actually a wonderful thing if you think about it. But it can be incredibly unsettling. And it can be very traumatic, in fact, because we can come to count on those plans with greater significance and uh, with more investment than we may think until uh, they fall through, than we realize. It becomes a crisis. And when those kinds of crises happen, Uh, It can be an opportunity either for great faltering or for growth in our faith, or maybe both. Either great faltering or growth in our faith, or maybe even both. And Abram, at this point, begins to falter. He falters because he starts to think, well, maybe God really can't do this. Maybe he can't provide for me. Maybe, uh, let alone making me into a great nation, I've got to survive here. Maybe God needs my help to provide to make myself into a great nation. Maybe God needs my help, and the help that Abram offers is uh, betraying his wife and handing her over to Pharaoh, uh, also uh, lying to Pharaoh and thus inflicting Pharaoh's household on, uh, with various uh, calamities. Uh, this is uh, something where he reaches out in an attempt to help God provide for him. This is a, a profound Uh, This is a constant throughout the Old Testament. It's a constant in our lives as well. Uh, We see this in Psalm 23, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And what does he say after that? We read this at the beginning of the service, didn't we? He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
he tells me to go and find my own green pastures. He, he, he tells me to go find my own quiet walk. Is that what he says? No, it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. He restores my soul. The work is God's. And the, the challenge of Abram's faith is he uh, was forced to choose whether to believe that to be the case. And, uh, and there's a lot of ways that, we, that this applies to us. I think, especially with work, since we see work as the primary means by which we provide for our needs, uh, we can often turn to work uh, to solve our problem of needing green pastures and needing rest. Uh, we all feel tired and weary from time to time. We all think, uh, I just need to rest a little bit. Work is too hard, and work will be hard. Even if it's what you're supposed to be doing, it will be hard. It is guaranteed. Uh, but what we can do is look, instead of to God, we can look to work to give us that rest. We think, if I just put in a few more hours, uh, then I'll make a little more money, and that will provide the green pastures I need. If I put in more hours and work harder and impress so-and-so, uh, maybe I'll get, the, uh, I'll get the, uh, the promotion, and that will enable me to have greener pastures. But what happens? You know, there may be a season of enjoying those things, but those things never truly satisfy. There is a goddess in this culture, the goddess of success. And she is never satisfied, but she's promising all kinds of things to us. She says, uh, she says, I will give you those green pastures. I will help you find joy and rest in life. If only you give me a little more sweat. If only you give me maybe uh, all your free time. If only you give me perhaps, uh, perhaps your health. Just sleep a little bit less. Really, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll have rest in the long run. And then success, the goddess of success, who's never satisfied, asks for, uh, asks for your, your kids, asks for your spouse, asks for you to sacrifice just about everything that is valuable to, her, uh, to you on, the, on her altar, all for the sake of finding for ourselves green pastures. This is what Abram does. He sacrifices out of fear of losing everything he has. He sacrifices his wife and says, uh, hey, just say that you're my sister. And he, he kind of uh, infects his wife with this idea, saying uh, in this, uh, hey, do this so that you'll be provided for. I mean, he kind of, he gets her to, to think, hey, if I die, no one's going to provide for you, right? So make sure that I live. Make sure that uh, lie for me so that we'll be okay. Yeah, they're imprisoned uh, to this uh, needing to find their own uh, rest their own strength. And he compromises and covers it up, too, with half-truths. He compromises his integrity. We see this, um, actually, he does this again in Genesis 20. And we see what's really behind him. He says in Genesis 20, hey, after all, she technically is my sister because, I don't know, some family thing, not literally his sister, but like half-sister or something. So he says, well, technically, even though she's my wife, she is my sister, so I'm not really lying. Getting around the truth with a half-truth to justify what he had done. Now, what's important to see this is that our faith is typically, we're told our faith is a personal thing. We're told that our faith is something that we're to keep to ourselves. And if our faith is going well, if we feel close to God, that's wonderful. But if we feel distant from God uh, and we're kind of struggling in our walk with Christ, then we think, well... That's not good, but what's wrong with that? Well, what we see in this passage is that faithlessness is not a victimless crime. 
Faithlessness is not a victimless crime. Someone is getting hurt. We may not always feel that way. I'm pretty sure Abram didn't think that because he was just acting out of fear. But his faithlessness uh, led him to put Sarai, his wife, in an incredibly vulnerable position in danger and inflicted uh, danger on Pharaoh as well. Worshiping success will do this for us. Uh, However, how do we find the success we really long for? Because what is success? In this culture, success is tied to who we are, right? It's tied to, uh, I am a success. So we need to be one, right? We need to find success that we might be a success. But what we see in the gospel and what we see as well in Psalm 23 is, and in Genesis 12, is that that's not the case. That God gives blessings to those who don't deserve it, to those who mess things up. We see that Abraham, Abraham, who didn't deserve it, is given great wealth and blessing. We see in Psalm 23 that uh, David, uh, who admitted that he was a sheep who wandered, who went astray so easily looking for those, what they thought was greener pastures on their own, not trusting that the shepherd would do it. Oh, David saw that even as a humble sheep, that God would provide for his needs, and even more so, bring him to a table of feasting. Bring him to a banqueting table. You think of, you think of a great dinner, a, a banquet, and uh, everyone's dressed nicely, and imagine sheep walking in, Right? Imagine sheep walking into your, to the nicest restaurant you've ever been in. How un, unfitting would that be? And yet, that is a picture of who we are and what God does for us. Because he doesn't just let us come in. Uh, he doesn't make us fend for ourselves. He invites us into the banquet. And he cleanses us. And he puts on, as James, I believe, prayed at the beginning of the service, uh, he dresses us in fine wedding garments that we might be uh, able to be there and fitting to be there. Uh, And Jesus prepares this table for us. And this table becomes a time of feasting and rejoicing and celebrating. And it has nothing to do with anything we've done. It has everything to do with what he's done. And it took, uh, it it had a price. There was a cost. You know, faithlessness is not a victimless crime, and Christ knows that very, very well, because our faithlessness uh, was inflicted upon him. That, uh, that That we might be elevated, he was humiliated. That we might uh, be blessed, he was cursed. Uh, that our name, our names might be great. Our names will, are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our names uh, are elevated to be sons and daughters of God, to be ambassadors of Christ, to be uh, co-heirs with Christ. And at the cost, however, of Jesus' name being reviled. See, Jesus in many ways was the, the ultimate Abraham who, who followed God and yet did not waver at all. In fact, he was obedient and faithful even to the point of death on a cross. Now, when we embrace this, this gives us the the joy and uh, and, and a sense of redefining everything that we are and what we do. And this uh, will change how we work because we'll be able to rest in Christ even as we work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is good for us to be near you, and we are amazed that you would so love us, that you would even uh, become 
not only a sheep like us, but you would become uh, the lamb who was slain for our sins. Father, help us to uh, embrace the full reality and the implications of what it means to be forgiven. And uh, fill us with, with the joy of knowing what it means to be called sons and daughters of God. To be filled with the joy and, and a sense of acceptance and a sense of success in knowing that uh, ultimately there's nothing that this world can offer us that even compares to the inheritance kept in heaven for those who believe in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.